Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to take some time out and say a quick thank you to everyone who continues to listen on a weekly basis or whenever you can and sharing and also giving me your positive feedback on Instagram um, through my page infertility and me underscore. And then I also wanted to give a special thanks to everyone who has left a five-star rating for Infertility and Me podcast, as well as left a review on Apple Podcasts. I just wanted to say thank you for to you guys for allowing me to just be a part of your day and also letting the information, the stories, and everything else that comes along with the podcast to resonate with you. And your support means so much to me. And so I thank you again for those reviews on iTunes specifically because I can actually see them and I get notices about them. So thank you to Aisha Every Day, uh, Some Kind of Brown Podcast, Experience J, Melanated Mom, person left a review. I don't know what the name is, but they just said it was a beautiful concept for a podcast. So I appreciate that. Um, Judah V1, Kay Wallace, OTR Mike, and then another one person left a review just saying how great the episodes were and how information, how informative it was for women going through infertility journey. And then I know that I have a newer review in 2020 from someone named Kathy. And so I just appreciate all you guys' reviews and your five-star ratings because it truly does help me know that what I am doing is not in vain and that it is resonating with you. And so I just want to do that before we get into today's episode with Erica F. Mitchell, author of No Less Bless, which will be released on some time during Infertility Awareness Week in April before or right around the same time in April. And I will keep you updated with the release of her book and you can connect with her on her website, which will be also in the show notes as well as her Instagram page, which will be in the show notes. And we had a really great discussion and I think you guys will really enjoy it. And so again, thank you for your continued support and helping me spread infertility awareness and advocacy and to reach the silent sufferers out there. And if you are a silent sufferer, I encourage you to connect with me on Instagram at infertility and me underscore. I post quite frequently on there. I also do IGTV videos. And so I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can hit me in my DMs at any time, infertility and me underscore. I'm on and off the platform at all different various times of the day. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. And so guys, I just wanted to show my appreciation for you today and just take a time to, to say thank you and to let you know that you inspire me and you keep me going to do the work that I'm trying to do. And I hope to connect with you more in the coming months and years. And so just thank you. Thank you again, guys. And here's Erica F. Mitchell. I have a very special guest. Her name is Erica F. Mitchell, and she is an up and coming new author. And her book is called No Less Blessed. And it is Seeking God in the Wilderness of Infertility and Childlessness. And Erica's book will be released in April. And we can find her on Instagram 
at no less blessed and i will have all of her information in the show notes as well as her uh, website so that you can connect with her at a later time after the show and you listen to the podcast episode and get more familiar with erica but you'll be able to connect with her on instagram and through her website erica i thank you so much for coming and speaking with me today and giving me more detail about your own personal journey through infertility and then how you led to the book and everything so can you tell me at what point in your marriage that you were diagnosed or were you diagnosed with infertility before like with PCOS or endometriosis or a condition like that? Yeah and and first of all thank you for inviting me um, to talk to your guests about my story. So I learned about the underlying condition of my uh, infertility about 15 years ago so it was before I even met my husband and it was a, a, a diagnosis of PCOS and at the time that I received that diagnosis, you know, it was very, uh, it was a confusing um, experience because, you know, the, the doctor just came in, kind of looked at my chart and looked at me and was like, oh yeah, you got PCOS, not something you need to worry about until you're ready to have children, which, you know, 15 years later, I know that's not true. There's so much more to PCOS than, than infertility. But at the time, you know, the, the medical um, providers that I had weren't even willing to talk about the condition in depth because they just saw it as an uh, infertility specific uh, condition. And because mm-hmm. I wasn't in a relationship and wasn't, you know, trying to conceive, then it wasn't a concern for them. So I, I knew about it coming into the marriage. But after um, I got married, you know, I knew that you know, if we were already starting with this uh, disadvantage that we had to be kind of proactive about it, but I still experienced some pushback from the medical community and medical providers because, you know, they went with the whole, oh, you just got married, you know, you don't want to have kids right off. Why don't you enjoy your first couple years of marriage before you become parents? And it always seemed like at every turn, there was some sort of pushback until finally I said, you know what, I've got to take my, um, you know, my desires and my experience by the reins and really find somebody who's, who's willing to work with me. So mm-hmm, you know, I, mm-hmm. I did that. We went through the normal routes of, you know, less uh, invasive treatment, escalating all the way up through uh, IVF and, <clears throat> you know, not, nothing has had worked. And I'm really cautious about seeing you know, describing that I, I used to say everything had failed. And now I'm at the place of saying, you know, nothing had been successful or nothing had worked because I learned that every time I said that everything had failed, everything had failed, I would internalize it and, and in turn see myself as a failure. Mm-hmm. And I carried that for so, so long. So now I'm very cautious about how I describe it. So none of the fertility treatments were successful um, after multiple attempts and you know we were uh, as many couples are just very frustrated and discouraged by the cost of pursuing advanced treatment because you know we didn't have tens of thousands of dollars just sitting in a, an account you know waiting for us to try to build a family off of it so we made the decision um, to look into adoption and so we became foster parents with the hope of fostering to adopt and you know unfortunately 
that did not work the way that we had hoped uh, either. And, and that was actually one of the more heartbreaking experiences mm -hmm. because, you know, in, I think in society, we tend to tout adoption as kind of the easy path and it's not an easy path and, it, and it's not uh, what I would consider, you know, a fix to infertility. Mm -hmm. It's something that you have to go into with a very uh, thoughtful and, and conscious approach so, you know, after all of that, you know, it's now been 11 years that my husband and I have been married, uh, still not parents. And recently we just decided that, you know, we need to take a step back and kind of reassess and heal and restore those places that have been broken over the past 11 years because you know, infertility and, and the attempts to become a parent you know, and those repeated losses end up taking a toll in, in many different areas in your mm -hmm. relationship and your finances and your health and in, in your self-esteem and that self-esteem piece and that self-worth really affected me more than anything. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I learned how to grieve the, you know, the kind of loss of the ideas and in the hope of having this certain timeline of becoming a mother. But what I was really struggling with was seeing myself as something more than a failure, something more than my womb that wouldn't work or something more than, you know, this unsuccessful adoptive, uh, hopeful adoptive parent. So that, that identity, that infertility, you know, affected with me. Mm -hmm. That really was my biggest struggle and my biggest inspiration and motivation for writing No Less Bless. Wow, what a journey. And I caught that you said earlier about your use of language when yeah. referring to your journey. That right there is, uh, is very powerful. And, it's, and it reminds me of... Um, someone going through maybe counseling training or some other form of connecting with people through healing and they teach you behavior and I think language is a big part of that and how you talk about yourself yourself and your situation and so that's really powerful and how did how did you get into the point of saying look no matter what happens, I need to switch up how I speak about my situation. I don't think that there was, you know, kind of one specific thing that made me aware of it. I think it was just something that I've learned in other areas as, as I've, you know, matured and, mm -hmm. and just become mm -hmm. into the woman that, um, that I feel like God sees me as. I, of personal growth, of, of developing yourself, of finding tools, resources, um, empowering yourself, changing your perspective, you know, those types of things are life-changing in, in some of the most powerful and, and free tools that we have at our disposal. So I think just having a heart and having a mind to always seek you know, personal growth and development you know, that just became part of, you know, 
my approach to kind of solving any problem. Be careful about, you know, how you discuss it or address it or identify or label it, you know, and, and I, I think it just spilled over into this area of my life too. Yeah, it sounds like it kind of just one, it kind of sounds like over time a light bulb went off, like, you know what? No, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's change it up a little bit here and, and, right. um, and find a better way to, uh, to talk about it, speak about it and to deal with it. Um, so that's, that's really powerful. And I yeah, think, and I, that, I think yeah. that, um, my last job that I had before, you know, I live in South Korea right now, but before we moved to South Korea, I was working in um, a field of process and main approaches and improving a process is learning to identify the problem and addressing the problem and not the people, you know, or, you know, what might be presenting itself as the problem, but it's not really the problem and getting to that root cause. And for me, you know, addressing the root cause of what's really bothering me or what's really getting in the way of my growth you know that that's you know it, it's a way of changing perspective and just helping me to be who I want to be yeah yeah that's powerful that's really powerful I, I, thank you for bringing that up too and so if we talk a little bit about your book when did you what, what part in your journey or after you guys what part well I'll just ask that what part mm-hmm of your journey did you find the urge to to sit down and write or type your your story out into a book it's was incredibly recently so like i said we live in south korea my husband is in the united states navy and we got stationed here in seoul and while i was in seoul i was involved in a lot of volunteer activities one of them being volunteering at a local orphanage and going to the orphanage it just triggered something for me as as much as I tried to be emotionally distant with that experience it just really broke something inside of me of being able to be around these babies who were waiting to be adopted I'm waiting to be a mother but there's this process and money and all sorts of things that prevent us from, you know, becoming a family with any. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So that happened, you know, at the end of 2018. And then in 2019, I just had a a number of family members and friends announcing their, you know, additions to their family. And it just, it took me to definitely the lowest place I had been in our 10-year journey. And so in that brokenness and in that uh, despair and depression, you know, I was really just, just really brokenhearted and praying and crying and, and thinking again, you know, I, I guess that mm-hmm. process improvement mindset of trying to find the root cause of the problem, like, you know, what's really bothering me of course, is, you know, we, we don't have, you know, the, the family, we don't have the blessing of being parents. But what's really bothering me is feeling like a loser because of mm-hmm. infertility. And writing the book, you know, I did it all during two, last year, 2019. 
writing the book was not me writing it from a place of victory. It was me writing it from a place of brokenness and trying to encourage myself with each chapter, with with each sentence. I mean, it it was a very emotional journey. And I'm, if nothing else, I'm just glad that I finished it (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) because, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, to be able to try to share a powerful message from a place of weakness. I mean, that is just a really tough place to be. Yeah, it is. It is. But at the same time, I feel like um, there was probably a lot of healing that took place with every page that you finished in uh, each chapter of the book that you completed as well. And so let me ask you if, if the, over the course of the year, were there things that rose up while you were writing that you thought that you had overcome, but you realized that there was still something, still something there that you were hanging on to as, as far as telling your story and in, in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was definitely the adoption piece because telling the rest of the story, I felt, you know, it, it, it had its hard moments. And and there were definitely some very tender moments, but getting to that chapter that talks about our unsuccessful attempts to adopt was really difficult because I, I, I went into, we went down that path fully confident that it was going to work, that it was mm-hmm. what we were supposed to do, that it, God was going to bless this, you know, effort and so forth. And when it didn't, pan out the way that we had hoped you know and and we tried multiple times Mm. and when it didn't pan out like that hurt the more than the IVF more than the IUI not working and what made it difficult to write about was not only tapping into that broken and hurt place but recognizing that I wasn't the only one that got hurt in that situation Mm. that there was a child that we had had in our home that was a foster child um, who ultimately through us did not become a forever family. And so I had to be very, very careful about what I said and how I said, because his story is absolutely as important as our story. And I didn't mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. you know, say anything that would be um, you know, disrespectful and inconsiderate of, of, of the experience he had, and not only that child, but just any child that's in a position of waiting for a family. I did not want to say anything that would compromise um, anybody's hope and anybody's effort to adopt. So it, it was like, I wanted to share my side, but I had to be very careful about how I did that. And that was very hard. Wow. Wow. With the adoption process, um, I have never been a foster mom, and um, I've watched a couple of other people go through it. So what about being a foster mom and then deciding to, that with you, and, with you and your husband together, deciding that adoption was something you wanted to pursue to expand your family? What about that seems so concrete for you? <laughs> I think just the expectation that people put out there of 
again, I'm trying to be very careful about how I say it, but, mm-hmm. but anytime someone's going through infertility, people who don't experience infertility always say, oh, just adopt. And I think I had heard that so many times mm-hmm. that I expected adoption to be easy. I expected it to be, um, you know, the, the end chapter. And I never thought about the very complicated layers of adoption, specifically a foster care adoption, because you're walking into a place of, of you know, differing levels of trauma. And if you have not healed from your trauma and loss of infertility, then you're compounding the situation and it makes it a lot more difficult. So mm-hmm. emotionally, I was not ready um, when we went down that road because I never expected the road to be as hard as it was. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a little bit of a little bit of the the expectation of, of it of it panning out the way that you envision has to do with the fact that the baby is tangible at the time that you're going through the process? Unlike with IVF treatment, you are waiting to conceive and procreate really to a certain extent you know what I mean yeah because that baby is already here is that why you feel like as well that it was um apart from not having previously healed in certain aspects I think I could see that being part of um the expectation too yeah and and just to be clear um when we went into the decision to become foster adopt parents, we knew that we wanted to um, pursue an older child because we knew that older children mm-hmm. were the most vulnerable um, of never finding a family. So we wanted to try to try that. Uh, so the child that we pursued was <laughs> walking, talking, going to school, you know, age. And so, yeah, it, it was hard because you're trying to navigate this new territory, new territory with a child that has a history that can look at you, that can talk to you, that can, you know, that can kind of, you know, have, have his own interpretation of the experience. So it wasn't just the fact that there was this physical child in our life, but there was this, you know, young man essentially in our Mm -hmm. life Um, and to be able to know that he had already been through so much and this was another heartbreak that we were doing I mean that was that was terrible It, it, it was just a hard experience for everybody involved yeah yeah wow that's that's um that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 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 I've never, I've never watched anybody go through the process personally. So I can't, I'm not going to sit up here and lie and tell anybody that I understand, understand this. No, that's why I'm asking the questions because yeah. I, I just don't know. And I would rather, I would rather ask the question and further understand from, from the perspective of, of you being the adoptive parent. So, wow. And you said you guys have tried multiple times Right. Yeah. So we did the um, foster um, adoption. We only did that one time because that was such a profound um, hurt and loss that we just weren't ready to do that again. 
Um, we had a, a situation where a expectant mother um, identified you know, us as potentially uh, doing an adoption plan and, and we had everything ready to go and had a nursery and all that. And after the child was born, she decided to parent. And, mm-hmm. you know, we wholeheartedly respected her decision mm-hmm. for that, mm-hmm. but it was still a, a hurt and a loss nonetheless. And then we also went down the road of investigating, um, you know, private adoption opportunities and, there's a whole chapter devoted to that. So I just can believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have, um, like I said, writing that chapter on adoption was hard because I wanted to absolutely um, respect all of the voices that are involved in, a, in the adoption triad, what they call, you know, the, the three components of, mm-hmm. you know, expectant mothers and the prospective adoptive families and the child. I really believe that no, nobody's voice is more important um, everybody's voice, you know, has its own equal weight. But uh, writing that chapter was really, really hard because it, it's there's just layers to adoption that a lot of people either aren't aware of or don't talk about. And I recognize and I realize why people don't talk about it because it's a very delicate subject. And at the end of the day, I think all of us want to see children in healthy, happy homes, but how that comes about can be very um, difficult. So can we talk a little bit about the layers of the adoption process, just in case there's somebody listening who's considering or um, just wants to know for their own purposes, whether it's because they have had some unsuccessful cycles or not? Yeah, um, I guess the biggest thing I would say is really do your research on what it means to go through um, an an ethical and responsible adoptive process. Because what we found after we did our research is that there are a lot of agencies that um, don't specifically promote um, ethical adoption practices. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I read that really stuck with me that said, you know, even though we should be trying to equalize the voices um, in an adoption, really and truly, the the in practice, the adoptive families tend to have the loudest voice because they're usually the ones making the decision and paying the money and and so forth. And so, when you're in an adoptive process that doesn't feel right or doesn't look right, but you keep going forward because you just have your heart set on a baby, you know, you, you got to be careful about that because it, if everybody does that, it just continues to perpetuate bad practices. Mm -hmm. So just be very um, aware of what uh, ethical and responsible adoption practices look like. Um, One thing I can say for sure, uh, for us as an African-American couple, we became very aware that a lot of agencies um, in the realm of private adoption, sorry, they charge lower fees for um, Black babies. You know, it could be 10 10 or 20,000 less than children of Caucasian heritage. And I didn't want to look like I was buying a baby. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't want to mm-hmm. say that uh, African-American babies are less valuable, you know, that they're part of this supply and demand, you know, uh, component of an adoption market, you know, so that I, I just, I mean, there's so much to it and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. just do your research is what I, what I can say. You can't go into any um, major decision purely off of uh, emotional place. You have to be uh, very responsible about the decisions you make. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you saying earlier that when you guys initially started, you weren't in a place that 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 was maybe the best emotionally when you first began so right. if you were going into the process now with having done a lot of growth and healing what would be what would be what would be different i guess i think we would take our time and just as Uh, we learned through fertility treatment of doing your research, asking questions, finding doctors that are willing to uh, sit down and and, and answer those questions for you. Do that in an adoption process. You know, the same, um, you know, preparedness that you would have in pursuing fertility treatment uh, have that same preparedness and have those tough conversations um, in an ad- in an adoption uh, opportunity because you just want to make sure that you're making um, a responsible decision, uh, a very careful decision. And, and yes, do it out of love, but don't let emotion be driving, you know, the decision. Yeah, I can, now that you've explained some of the aspects of it, I could see how you have to come away from that emotional part of the journey and really use your thinking cap and pay attention to what the agency is doing and, and how they're going, going and maneuvering things to, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's, that's, a, yeah, that's it is. Cool. And to be truthful, you know, nothing about infertility is easy. No. And that's one of the, the things I had mentioned in the uh, book is that all marriages, you know, have difficult conversations, but infertility conversations and, or conversations related to infertility treatment or our desire to become parents or anything have been by far the hardest uh, discussions that my husband and I have had because it affects so many different areas. Like I said, it affects the finances, it affects the relationship, it mm-hmm. affects kind of your hopes and dreams and your vision for what you thought your family would look like at a certain time. And to do all of that, have those really, really hard conversations in the context of a very, very emotional place it's really difficult and then for us you know we were also adding an additional layer of our faith so Mm -hmm. you know I know everybody has uh, very deeply held values um, and and we are no different so we wanted to make sure that we found kind of this middle ground between what's responsible 
uh, what gives kind of credence to our emotions and what's respectful of our values. And for right now, we've decided that means to, to stop, mm-hmm, <laughs> means mm-hmm. to stop, to heal, to repair, restore, you know, all of those things. And so while we haven't totally walked away from the idea of becoming parents, it's, it's definitely not our primary focus right now. Wow. Did you ever think that you would come to a place of uh, confidence in saying that this is not the number one thing on my list anymore? I don't know that I ever thought about it that far, to be honest, because I think what, what really, if, if I had to really dig deep, I would say that it was always, I was always too afraid to even think about that. And I, I think that in infertility, we talk a lot about, you know, sadness and loss and grief, but there are a ton of fears that we don't address. And so that's one thing I had to kind of uh, approach with confidence of, of saying, okay, I need to stop, but what is it that I'm afraid of mm-hmm. if I stop? And that's, you know, the fear of, you know, wasting my time. You know, th- there's this short window of us becoming a parent at a certain time. I fear wasting our time. I, I fear, you know, what it means if we never become parents. I fear uh, what that looks like to, you know, people on the outside. Uh, oh, they gave up. They, they stopped believing that God would do something for them. I mean, there's just a ton of fears that are related to those decisions. And, you know, again, that was a big part of writing No Less Blessed is recognizing that God is with you when you're trying to become a parent. God is with you when you're stopping to grieve your losses, when you're stopping to restore um, those hurt places. And for me to to not see this opportunity that we have right now as a blessing mm-hmm. is kind of a short-sighted look uh, of what of of how we see God and so i i did have to say you know what we have the freedom the opportunity to stop and take care of ourselves and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have that so yeah. let's be grateful for what we have in this moment yeah, yeah. It's very well put, Erica. Very well put. I can't add anything to it and I definitely won't try to. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell us when do you have an exact date for when the book will be will be released in April? Not quite. Um okay. I my goal is absolutely to have it available um during National Infertility Awareness Week, which I believe is the last uh week of April. But um, it's at that last stage of, of the design and publication okay. uh, process. So, and when I get those, uh, that final design back, then I'll have a better idea of, of when it will be released. But the goal is absolutely in April because, um, you know, that infertility awareness week mm-hmm. means a lot mm-hmm. to me and to people in the community. So I want to, them to be able to have uh, this as a resource um, especially because uh, I know in the infertility community, there are certain populations and groups that feel left out. 
And to me, those are the ones who have, you know, either like us, they're not actively trying to conceive or trying to pursue adoption, or they've reached a place of um, trying to make peace uh, with the fact that the miracle didn't happen. And so I always struggled with the available resources that were um, out there. It, it always seemed like they neglected, you know, what I call those silent sufferers, mm -hmm. because every time you log into, you know, maybe social media or pick up a book, it's always talking about IVF or, you know, this trying to conceive concept, but there's so much more to infertility than that trying to conceive effort. So I wanted to make sure that this book uh, was inclusive of those who are not trying to conceive, but who are still grappling with what infertility has done uh, to their identity and, and their gotcha. perception of, of self-worth. Gotcha. And so is it more so um, the book, I know that there's uh, probably lots of parts of your own journey in the book, but is it more like a manual for navigating the um, period of we've had enough after trying all those other things? A balance of me sharing my journey, but also um, considerations that we had to have, those, sharing those very deep, vulnerable thoughts in parts of our journey and saying, you know, where's the hope as I'm struggling with this? Where's the hope as I'm, you know, having these, these thoughts and, you know, where, where's God in all of this? And so I didn't want to write it as, you know, a memoir, mm -hmm. but I didn't want to share my experience to show that, hey, I understand. Um, I've been there and I may not have an identical experience, but those emotions, you know, we all share and we, we all can talk about. So it's more so about, um, yeah, navigating those emotions and navigating the experience of infertility more so than just focusing on the outcome. Because, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I shared in the book, I noticed a big majority of the literature that's available is written either by medical professionals mm -hmm. for kind of sharing that clinical aspect of it, or it's written by mothers who are speaking kind of from a place of fulfillment mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. saying, this is how I got through that. And I think that th those are kind of what I call like the bookends, you know, the beginning of the journey, the end of the mm -hmm. journey, but this really speaks to the middle of it. And how do you um, navigate those hard places and those hard thoughts that you don't share. Uh, you know, I think it, especially even as Christians, we get intimidated about yeah. speaking about our insecurities. Um, but I put mine out there and, and just, you know, wrote about where we can find hope in those dark places. And so where can we find hope? I know one of them being the, our belief systems in, in God and staying close to our faith. Mm -hmm. So what was your biggest, or one of, or a few of, your biggest um, resources or uh, ways to cope in finding hope during your journey and after you decided that um, you're okay for now and that you just wanted to heal? The 
biggest thing really was in standing in my truth and standing in the truth of my identity of knowing that it's not um, that I'm less blessed because I haven't reached the place of parenthood. I think children are a huge blessing. Becoming a parent is a blessing. But, you know, when they say count your blessings, I didn't want to ignore those blessings that I I have because I was pursuing the one that seems to keep, you know, eluding me. So standing in confidence, knowing that, um, that God is there, he has heard me, and that I'm not less of a person because I haven't reached a certain place or I'm not, um, you know, disregarded. You feel like I, I had the confidence to, to keep going and, and to take care of myself. And like I said, that's why I really, really had it on my heart to think about the people who do feel ignored and disregarded um, in the infertility community because they can start to feel less than it's hard to find a place I mean even I've struggled to find uh, proper support in infertility because I haven't totally reached the place of you know stating that we're going to live a child-free lifestyle Mm -hmm. but I'm not in that place of you know trigger shots and IVF and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know all that monitoring either too Mm -hmm. So it's like, what, what is there for that person that's, that recognizes that IVF has done more than just uh, impeded my ability to become a mother? It's really uh, affected who I see myself as. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I wanted to make sure that um, people know that, that there is a message out there uh, for them that can resonate with them if that's where they are. And I totally acknowledge that depending on where you are in your journey, that that message might not be, you know, for what you want to hear or for mm-hmm, you at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. But there, there are definitely those who don't fall into one basket or the other. And I really wanted to say, I see you, you know, because I am you. And I, yeah. I just want you to know yeah. that, that you can stand in, in confidence and faith. Mm-mm-mm. Well, you've given me many, many, many chills this morning. Uh, really? <laughs> Erica F. Mitchell. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is crazy because um, I, I was, I had an episode that came out in previous weeks uh, with a young, with a young woman who is kind of in the same position that you and your husband are where, you know, so many things that they've tried have been unsuccessful. And uh, I think that with time, and with people like yourself and her who continue to be that voice for that unidentifiable place of, you know, not necessarily childlessness completely, but just, it has, I feel like it has no label. And so yeah, when it has no label, you don't know how to, it makes it more difficult to express yourself. It's kind of like getting a diagnosis of a condition and you feel secure. Okay, now I got this diagnosis, and so I can move on with a treatment plan. But what about you know that unexplained infertility and unexplained conditions? So right. I feel like that's where where you're 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 speaking a place from is that that place that is not identifiable 
um, right away, but you know that there there is a word for it, but we just we ain't we ain't found it yet. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, so, and um, I think not having we try not to get stuck on labels, but sometimes labels are beneficial, and sometimes labels can um, help people recover. And when yeah. you don't have a label to attach for how exactly you're feeling when there's you haven't found that word in a dictionary yet to to describe where you are and and, and what place you you're in um it makes it that much more difficult like you said and you just become another silent sufferer uh watching mm-hmm. everybody else move along wherever they're going to move along you know and um yeah this is this is powerful and i'm just so grateful that we were able to connect and have this discussion because there are many 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 thousands of people that this will resonate with and I just I just feel so fortunate and blessed that you were able to come on today and we were able to connect on different sides of the world you know what I mean yeah (laughs) (laughs) this was great this is awesome and so I will have Erica's information for Instagram and as well as her website nolessblessed.com in the show notes that you guys can continue to connect with her on social media you can email her with any questions if you want to connect with her to collaborate anything i'm sure she'll be able to assist you the best that she knows how and of course you can always reach me at infertility and me underscore on instagram and infertility and me podcast.com thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of infertility and me podcast with erica f mitchell author of the up-and-coming book, No Less Blessed. Thank you.